Hello and welcome to this NLive's Open for Business podcast platform. My name is Adrian Price, the guy from the university, as I keep saying, with the perfect face for radio. And I host a show every Tuesday from 7 to 9 p.m. called Open for Business. Open for Business celebrates the very best of business in Northampton and Northamptonshire and brings together business, civic, charity and indeed academic leaders to talk about the business environment, to talk about initiatives and projects, especially where, they're, where they are all working together for the good of the community. So enjoy these extended interviews on this podcast. They're now set up as a standalone for you to savour and uh, to learn from some of the movers and shakers in the county. Enjoy. Well, we're in the last few days up to Christmas, and it is going to be a very different Christmas from most of our normal ones. Indeed, you know, some calls for effectively Christmas should be cancelled. I'm sure someone who will not agree with that sentiment, although we'll be uh, live to uh, perhaps the restrictions we face, is the Reverend Oliver Koss. He's the rector of All Saints um, Church in town, uh, All Saints with St. Catherine and St. Peter. Oliver, welcome to the programme. Thank you for taking the time to come and talk to us at such a busy period. But uh, I guess you're certainly not in favour of cancelling Christmas. Well, thank you very much, Adrian. It's great to be to be here. I mean, I, I suppose the first thing to start about Christmas is it it, it, it can't be cancelled. And I think even if the things that uh, that we would usually do around Christmas, the parties, the events, the the things that really uh, fill our diaries around this season that are so joyful and that bring us together, even if so many of those just can't happen this year. Christmas to me as a Christian is fundamentally about something that God does. Um, that, that that he wants me to notice and, and that's that's about the birth of Jesus so on a on a purely kind of uh, uh, spiritual and theological level you know there, there, there are some things that can't be cancelled there but it I mean it is really really wonderful this year after all of the challenges that affected us around Easter um, to, to be able to say that we are going to be able to have services in church with people in limited ways and with lots of rules and everything else like that um, and, and that that will just make it feel like everything is not lost for, for lots of people. It'll just break that isolation and break that sense that nothing's possible in 2020. And that's 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 something we're really looking forward to. Indeed. So tell us what's been um, happening in the life of the church since COVID first struck us last March then. I mean, have you had, you know, extended closure? Have you been closed, open, closed, open like mm. many other places? Yeah, I mean, we've 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 been open and we've been closed. I think you know, as the restrictions have allowed, and and I mean, just as as you you asked me there, thinking back to how things were really from March until June when we were allowed to open for private prayer, and then in July when we could open for services again, it was just an incredibly hard time where we were learning new skills. That was putting our worship online, and lots of it was sort of broadcast from my little study at home, which became a little sort of live recording studio um, for a time. And then we were able to start importing things into church. So the most that people will notice in the church building now is a couple of extra cameras complementing the security ones that um, allow people to take part um, from afar. Um, and, you know, some high-vis tape here and there that denotes where they can and can't sit so they can socially distance. Um, but we've learned an awful lot of skills, I think, about how to um, how to use live streaming, how to keep in touch with people, how to um, really kind of keep a, a constant stream of information going, even when it's been quite difficult, when it's reached people who have been isolated um, and isolating. Um, it's, it's been a really powerful kind of um, um, uh, tool. And it seems to have brought 
um, new people to us who who started to follow us during lockdown because of the accessibility of our our services and uh, on on the various sort of social media platforms we're using um, in a way that's been wonderful and surprising for us as well. We we figured it was just going to be a matter of loss, but actually it has um, it's brought brought new people to us um, as well as renewing some old friendships. Well, that's uh, yeah, that's a very uh, positive note there. So, have you enjoyed being the the virtual vicar? <laughs> it's been very strange. I mean, you you get used to sort of being to sort of just doing things, and I suppose I mean we have. Before COVID, we had uh, a weekly round of, of about sort of twelve services, I think, and some of them you end up doing an autopilot. And and the kind of the wonderful Heis it's at the Heisenberg principle, where, where um, the act of observing a phenomenon changes it. And when you know there's a camera pointed at you the whole time, and other people who are sitting on the other end of that camera, watching from their homes or from wherever they can kind of get a Wi-Fi signal, um, I think it does fundamentally change it really because you you you're having to sort of do lots of different kinds of relating um, to people who remotely and in person are, are there and present and praying with you um, and and you know at times I've I've had to uh, ask people to pray for me because because actually it's been quite sort of hard to do some of those those big festival occasions in very isolated ways, either here in church or, or, or at, uh, at home when we weren't allowed to use the church. Um, uh, so it has sort of, it's changed it, but it, it has, I think for me, it's deepened it um, in terms of, uh, of its meaning and, and, and how, I've how I've needed to approach it. Mm. You've been here in Northampton for what, just over four years, is that right? Yeah, I arrived in September 2016. So uh, yeah, time is rocking on now. <laughs> and where? Tell us a little bit about your career. You know, your career, your work before coming to Northampton, mm. Oliver. So I, I mean, I grew up in Lincolnshire, and I was a I was a university student in in Yorkshire for four years, and I, I ended up serving as a curate um, uh, after I'd finished my um, my theological training in um, in a uh, a village on the outskirts of Hull in East Yorkshire, um, and, uh, and that was great fun. It was lovely people, and and the beginnings of what is now the European capital of culture. So that's the, uh, or has been the capital of the culture. So that was a really exciting place to be in. As a city that had been through a lot and needed a bit of a a leg up into the twenty first century in a way. Mm. Um, and after that, I spent five and a half years um, working just off the city centre in Birmingham um, in a um, uh, a very tough kind of parish, a place where there was um, a great deal of, of uh, inner urban poverty, a great deal of um, uh, um, fractured relationships between people of, of different faiths and often between people of the same faith. We had um, a, it's one of those areas of Birmingham where it's a, a Muslim majority area um, and within the kind of the 20,000 Muslim people who who um, identified as Muslims who lived in my patch. There were round about sort of twenty or thirty different and distinct groups, um, and so whatever was going on in the world, if there were kind of fallings out between denominations, they were often replicated on the ground there. So it was a very dynamic place to be. Um, it's a very young place to be as well. Birmingham is one of the youngest cities in Europe, um, and um, and it was one of those places where you, you spent a lot of time constantly on receive because you were trying to listen to what it was people were saying to you listen to their point of view listen to their own convictions listen to where they'd come from and and what they had what they were sort of seeking and their hopes and dreams uh so it was a, yeah it's a fascinating place to to be um mm -hmm. 
and um yeah and I, and I came to Northampton from from there really for for I suppose a new challenge um in a, a church where I knew that there'd been some some complications in the past um and uh, a place where where I thought there, there could be some very interesting work done not least because we have similarly um similar levels of poverty in central Northampton to central Birmingham um believe it or not um we have similar um, diversity and you know a, a, you know a wealth of different groups who converge on the town centre um, and uh, and who belong to it none, nonetheless um, and an exciting challenge to try and make a um, a very historic place belong to the town and the county in in a way that um, that perhaps it hadn't for a little while. Mm, I, I kind of like that uh, integrating with the rest of the town which I think you've done a very very good job of indeed and including your weekly article is it or fortnightly weekly chronicle and echo so you know has the church been called upon in the last few months to play its part amongst the other town civic uh, institutions then in addressing COVID I think it it has and it, it has I mean the times when we have really I think stepped up and, and known our business have been where we've been addressing uh, the the kind of the civic and ceremonial occasions of the year that that, that um, you know really can't sort of go go through a year without noticing and you know it's been a year where we've marked a significant anniversary of EU Day um, and of of VJ Day um, putting together um, a, a remembrance Sunday for, for for this year was you know was a big sort of challenge really and I think. And you know, those have been the sort of the big visible things that I think people would have noticed we, we've been sort of up to. Um, back in uh, May and June, when we were first allowed to open the church for pub, for private prayer, I think there was we, we sort of felt a sense of obligation um, um, because of uh, of the uh, the position of the the building in the middle of the town centre and its sort of civic value to be among the first places that really really did that and to make it work from from day one um because it, it, it the the building belongs to the people mm. and a lot more of that you know comes in in the sort of the narrow gaps and the ways in which you can kind of connect things up sometimes um and so spending a good amount of time um working with the single homelessness forum on on uh, you know the direction of travel this year, which is, has been you know completely different from um, from uh, every other year in terms of what has been permissible, what's been possible, um, and and the things that we thought weren't possible but actually turned out to be possible, like like you know the fabulous Everybody In initiative, which um, you know brought um, hundreds of uh, uh, people by their dozens into into hotel accommodation. People were quite rightly sort of saying, "Gosh, well, you know, why couldn't this just have happened?" You know, and that was really a privilege to um, to sort of um, uh, uh, work on in even even some sort of small capacity. Um, and and really now, I suppose at this point in the pandemic, starting to think about how we recover as uh, in a meaningful way um, and bring life back to those things which which have really suffered. Um, as, as well as you know caring for our congregation the people who are, who are around us and uh, making sure that you know that uh, our relationship with our local food bank didn't sort of just die off because we weren't able to use the building as much it's been really moving to see how people have um, have uh, carried on their support for the things that uh, that are merciful and that are good and kind yes. um, and just how that has exploded in our county um, and um, um, and and 
really served well, I think, our, our neighbours in lots lots of different respects. Indeed. And homelessness is a cause that um, you do write about a lot, right? Is that one of the biggest issues or manifestations of poverty and disadvantage then that we have in the town? Or are there others that you get involved with? You mentioned food banks as well, of course. But, um, mm. you know, I mean, clearly it is a it is a, a big issue. And you're right. This year has seen some change of policy and I think some radical new fresh thinking, which hopefully can be sustained. But are there any other sort of causes that you personally or the church particularly espouses? I think um, and homelessness will always be important to us, I think, because it's, um, it is one of the more visible indicators in the town centre, I think, of, um, of, of, of what is going on. And I think, you know, where, where systems have been working, you see fewer. Where systems haven't been working, it, it, you start to see, see more. And I think that, you know, um, that is, it's a little bit like the tip of the iceberg. And you know that that iceberg has got huge issues beneath the waters um, that, that aren't hidden, that aren't visible. Um, but I think it gives you a little bit of a sense of, of, uh, of what is going on there. But in, in All Saints Parish, um, you have um, what one of, the, um, one of the most deprived areas in, in the whole of Northamptonshire. In fact, it's, it's one of the, the top 1% most deprived parishes in, in the whole of England. Um, and, and it's got some really scary stats, like boys live for 10 fewer years here in this parish. Um, than they do out, out in, you know, in a, um, in a sort of a leafier suburb, um, even in the same town. 47% um, of children who live in All Saints Parish live in poverty. Um, and 35% of people who live in All Saints Parish are enduring working age poverty. And, and I think that's really, really scary um, because it, it talks about, about people who are in work who are, you know, as David Cameron used to love saying, working hard and doing the right thing, often in multiple jobs, yeah. and yet who still find themselves in crushingly difficult situations um, from which there's no easy exit. You know, how, how can we kind of, I suppose if we Americans, we talk about, you know, how can we make the American dream theirs to offer? Well, <laughs> you know, I think that the dream is no less needed, but but not, uh, but certainly not easier to, to acquire simply by thinking about it or willing it. Um, and, and, and I think, you know, that, and that, that'll always be an important aspect to us. So, you know, this year we've been uh, part of a, an effort which has been coordinated by Castle Hill Church to, um, to support 50 of the families who, who are, um, who, who live in our, our area. And that, within that, there are 132 children who will, you know, receive food that'll get them through and some clothes and some donations. And it, it, it really is the work of more than one group. I think single groups can't take these things on um, uh, uh, on successfully on their own. Um, and, and they certainly can't give these people a sense of justice, of lifting them out of the, this poverty which makes them dependent uh, or hopeful even, even if they're not dependent, but hopeful of the kindness of others um, to get them through. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, and, and that's happening on our doorstep. That, that's in Northampton. That's in a town where, where we, we think of central England and we, and middle England, and we sort of think, well, leafy market towns. Um, but we, we have all the problems of a major, um, urban metropolis, um, just on a, on a slightly smaller scale because of the size of our, of our town, but all of those issues are there. 
Yeah, no, there's a there's definitely an underbelly, isn't there? And um, you know, deprivation, hardship, poverty, as as you say. Um, and I think it has grown this year. That's the sad thing. I think we've had ten years probably of austerity, which is you know, social services withdrawing, lots of things without getting political. We have suffered, I think, <laughs> and it's all come to um, probably to a head. And now with COVID possibly with Brexit, you know, I think we look around and you're right, there is more visible sign of hardship around and um, we have to work together to change that. Talking about working together then, um, your relationships, and I have other guests coming on from the other faiths, uh, your relationships mm -hmm. with the other faiths, interfaith work, etc. Uh, you know, how can you comment on, on those um, relationships, please, with the other faith groups? I, I mean, interfaith was very it was a really significant part of, of the job I had in, in Birmingham, not, not least because, you know, as, as I've said, I was living in, a, in a, an area where um, almost all of my neighbours um, actively participated in another faith. And I think that, I mean, that was radically different from the job I did before that, where um, I was living in a kind of a, a place where um, religious faith of whatever shade was losing coherence to the general population. People were increasingly identified uh, identifying as non-theist or atheist. Um, and uh, but I think in Northampton, where you've got a really interesting set of relationships that that crosses people of different faiths, it's it's just sort of fascinating to see how that how those relationships work and to see the real affection and the real um, and, and the real relationships that have undergirded the founding of, of organizations like Northampton Interfaith Forum, which you know has, has been responsible for some and, and still is responsible for some fabulous work about what, what it means to be a human being, what it means to be a human being of faith, what it means to be a human being of no faith, and, and trying to work that into the, the curriculums of, of our schools. And talking to the and talking and looking at the individuals who really put those um those meeting places together it, it emerged out of a friendship that they already had um and i think that was the most potent gift was to say to people who are divided by the walls of their places of worship or or divided by theological traditional conviction because you know we, we can't I, I don't think it's it's very easy sometimes to sort of uh write things off and say oh we all believe in the same god and actually that's not how it feels the most time for, for the most part <laughs> Um, but I think we, we have a common confession. We have a, an interest in seeing peaceful, cohesive societies where, where goodness is given space to flourish um, um, among people. And we have the ability to step out of all of those circles and make unlikely friendships, um, just, as, just as the founders of those, uh, those ancient religions all, always did. Um, and I, I remember going to school once and talking about a document called the Akhtanami of Muhammad, which was um, uh, an agreement made in antiquity between the monks of St. Catherine's Monastery on Mount Sinai and, and, and Islam's prophet Muhammad. Um, and it sets out a real sense of, of rights and friendships um, that, had, that had come to exist between the founder of Islam and one of the most important monasteries in, in, in Christianity's history, certainly in, at that point of things. Um, and, and these friendships are deeply embedded in the DNA of, of certainly the Abrahamic faiths. And there is no reason at all why it, it takes the, the long history of a book that we, we partly share in common mm -hmm. um, 
um, there's no reason why that shouldn't spread to people of, of goodwill everywhere, so long as it is based on, on, a, on, your, on a respect for who we are and the opportunity to listen to, to what it is we believe and what we value and what we treasure um, and how that might influence us, our communities generally. Um, so I think it, it's really interesting how people can come together and, and how those unlikely friendships can emerge. Well, as John Joseph said, my guest uh, last week, um, there's more unite that unites us than divides us, and we should never forget yeah. that. I'm yeah, sure you would no, echo, that, echo that sentiment. All right, so looking at, looking at Christmas coming up then, so um, you have, I'm sure, a busy week. You say there's a full programme, albeit with some restrictions. And so how will you be, you know, what does Christmas week mean for you and how will you be personally celebrating Christmas, perhaps when you're not on duty? <laughs> um, gosh, there's a time I'm not on duty. That's exciting. Um, <laughs> the um, Yeah, I mean, really, we, we start to really kick into the swing of things on, on Sunday evening when we're going to have our, our Festival of Lessons and Carols, which is is, is always when when... Christmas really starts I think for me it, it, you know it's never I've never been a person for whom it starts sometime in November when uh when uh, when Primark stick their their decks up you know that's that's not me um but it always starts at that moment I think that that's exciting so that's at six o'clock on on Sunday afternoon um and then on Christmas Eve you know with a few weekday services in between times on Christmas Eve we, we start at 11 30 in the evening our, our midnight mass celebration and that is that, that for me is the best service of the year. It starts in the middle of darkness, and it just gets brighter and brighter and brighter as as the uh, as the worship wears on. Um, and then we'll we'll do two services on Christmas Day at eight a.m. and ten thirty. And and really, the only thing that's, that's sort of different, I suppose, um, uh, in comparison with the uh, the things we've been doing through lockdown, is we're, we're just asking people to register in advance, so we don't have to have them queue up and do their track and trace thing on the day and they, they can just sort of come come straight in so people have been signing up online for that and giving in sort of uh, forms so it's been it's been quite exciting to see that people are you know people are going to turn out this christmas they're going to trust us i think that our procedures are, are robust and careful but uh, um but so far it's you know it's uh, it's feeling really hopeful um so yes yeah, so that, that's in church um and at home i think you know we've been bubbling with my mother-in-law for for many months now and um and i think that's it's going to be uh uh um the five of us so so my wife Eleanor and our children and and uh and my mother-in-law will will share christmas together and spend a lot of time on zoom um talking to family members that we'd otherwise have seen over christmas but but this year is probably not a good idea we'll stay home and yeah. keep it safe after after all of these all of these in-person service all these activities in church it feels safer to um to take it easy for a bit after then and um and hopefully we can get to a place where we'll we'll do easter i think uh, yes. in a way that feels a bit more a bit more usual i hope let's hope so indeed so um oliver before we and have you got any sort of key messages then that you'd like to share with our listeners I, th I think for you know just to wish everyone who's listening to your station a very happy Christmas and to um, to um, to repeat our our, um, our message this year, which is you know making our homes ready for whoever's coming and for for those who don't know who are coming because that's always the the case around the, this time of year. Um, looking after our neighbours, looking out for those who are going to find themselves alone, especially after the announcements over the last few days, um, and um, and say Christmas because Christmas will happen, whatever. Um, but uh, we've got it in our hearts to receive it and to uh, to share it with others as well. 
Do you think there's any risk that we've lost the meaning of Christmas? Um, almost certainly. Um, but every year it comes back and reminds us uh, what it's about. And, and even if we forget that the message is, is still there, I think we sometimes bury it with the huge nighttime economy and the huge commercial end to it. And I, I wonder whether this Christmas will, will teach us something about, um, about what's essential what's simple about it and what is what's really important i i um i read in in my sermon last sunday a, a passage from um dietrich bonhoeffer's letters and papers from prison uh, bonhoeffer you you uh perhaps know was um uh, a lutheran pastor who was was um murdered by the nazis because he was he was involved in in the Kreisau circle and, um and in um uh, uh various other um, uh, um, uh, parts of opposition to the Nazi state, um, and when he was um, when he was in prison, when he was in prison in 1943 over Christmas, just the the Christmas before he was um, executed, I think that there was sort of a an expectation that this would be a Christmas like no other for him, and and that it would just be terrible to endure. Um, but his writings record that he felt very different about it. And he said, um, I think we're going to have an exceptionally good Christmas. The fact that every outward circumstance precludes our making provision for it will show whether we can be content with what is truly essential. I used to be fond of thinking up and buying presents, but now that we have nothing to give, the gift God gave us in the birth of Christ will seem all the more glorious. The emptier our hands, the better we'll understand what Luther meant in his dying words. We're beggars, it's true. The poorer our quarters, the more clearly we perceive that our hearts should be Christ's home on earth and and that for me uh that brings home the, the purpose of this season um but I think it tells me about what's what I need and what I don't need um around a Christmas so um I yeah I suppose the most important message is to take everything as it comes this Christmas and not to worry about the things that don't Indeed, some wonderful thoughts there uh, for us all to reflect on. I think we'll have that time to reflect on what is, as you say, important in life uh, and what isn't and is just material. Uh, Reverend Oliver Koss, thank you ever so much for coming on to the show. Reverend Oliver Koss, the Rector of All Saints with St. Catherine and St. Peter. Um, may God's blessing be upon you and your family and uh, keep up the great work. Um, keep safe and well and truly have a joyous and uh, wonderful Christmas. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, Richard, and to you. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that interview. There are plenty more here on the podcast platform. And of course, you can always listen on uh, live on Tuesday evenings from 7 to 9 p.m. on NLive Radio 106.9 FM or digitally via nliveradio.com. Um, if you'd like to know more about the radio station, please do look at nliveradio.com. And um, we're always looking for support from the community and further afield. So if you'd like to support us, please go to nliveradio.com slash support us. So until next time, thank you very much again for listening.